0: Dementia, it's a condition that affects 55 million people worldwide. In its most common form, Alzheimer's makes up about 70% of all cases. Dementia is the seventh leading cause of death, and according to the UN's most recent data, it costs economies globally 1.3 trillion dollars. The largest and most influential international meeting dedicated to advancing dementia science, is held in Amsterdam. This year is particularly controversial. A pharmaceutical company has disclosed details of its trials of a new drug, donanumab. Eli Lilly expects the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to decide by the end of this year whether to approve what it's calling a breakthrough drug. The FDA recently approved another one, Lekimbi, despite concerns about its safety and high cost, more than $26,000 a year for one patient's treatment. Every year, nearly 10 million new dementia cases are reported. 60% are diagnosed in low and middle income countries. Are these medications the best way forward? Or do they just supply cash flow for pharmaceutical companies? I'm Stab in Amsterdam. On this episode of Talk to Al Jazeera, we will explore that by talking to two world-leading dementia scientists. Edo Richard is combining patient care with research into the prevention of dementia. And Greg Ritchie quit his job at the UK Health System, the NHS, using the institution of denying patients life-changing drugs. And he is helping patients with lifestyle guidances to protect their brains. Greg Ritchie and Edo Richard talk to Al Jazeera. Professor Greg Ritchie, thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. Alzheimer's has become so common that many of us know patients with the disease and there's always this very scary moment when a person doesn't recognize even their own family members. How does that work? What does it do to a brain, this disease, that people even forget their own children?
1: I think the the biggest tragedy in some ways is that as you describe, somebody who first has some memory problems and maybe doesn't recognise people around them, what have you, is a symptom that's emerging 10, 20 years even after the disease has actually started. Um, And a lot of the research that we've been doing over these last 10, 15 years or so is is clearly pointing to the fact these diseases start probably in late mid-life. 40s, 50s. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I think that's where there's a huge opportunity, like there is in other medical conditions, if you can detect these diseases super early. But
0: something starts to change in your brain then?
1: Yes, I mean this, so, the, so, so what the changes are, uh, we still have to map these out completely, but one of the early changes is, is a build-up of a protein called amyloid, and this builds up in the brain outside of the nerve cells, and that triggers, if you like, a lot of other pathologies of a sequence of events. eventually the nerve cells stop working so well and then after that the symptoms emerge because the brain has a lot of resilience so it can manage a fair amount of this disease before symptoms start to emerge and when that emergence of symptoms arises it's because the disease has actually got quite advanced
0: yeah you're a very strong campaigner for early detection you even quit the NHS right the the, the government yeah. health system because you said they only do something when it's too late already yeah. when people have symptoms yeah. so what can you do to to detect it in an early stage
1: well i think i think there's a in general terms healthcare across the world we 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 say we have a national health service we don't we have a national illness service and i think most healthcare systems are designed and geared towards waiting for people to get sick waiting for people to get symptoms and we know with chronic conditions that that's often too late and you can't affect the change
0: but what do you see for example to early detect alzheimer's is the, what are you looking at
1: we can test amyloid in the blood you know we can actually look for the presence of this protein in the bloodstream and and you know if it's if it's if it's abnormal then we can say that that person's maybe more likely to go on to develop Alzheimer's dementia in the, in, in the years ahead. But in some ways even more importantly, if it's normal then the symptoms, the concerns, the worries they have may be due to something else like depression or anxiety mm-hmm. or stress. So we, we then focus our attention as doctors to, to look for other causes of their, of, of, of their concerns.
0: So when should someone go to a doctor? What symptoms do we have to look out for?
1: As we move forward I think what we're what we're what we're hoping to do is for have people have a, a kind of a, a lower barrier to seek help. So rather than waiting for symptoms to become really advanced or to start having, you know, major functional impact. Memory and, loss, forgetfulness. Yeah, but but it's but it's but it's it, the, the cardinal symptom, the, the one that we all talk about is memory loss is forgetfulness. But of course, we all do that. You know, we all forget things. <laughs> mm. um, And what we're actually asking for people to do is, or or practitioners to do, like like GPs or family practitioners, is to maybe do a quick memory test for everybody maybe over the age of 55.
0: At the Alzheimer's Association International Conference, the biggest gathering of Alzheimer's scientists in the world, there has been this exciting news now, right? That there is a new drug, yeah. the nanomap that was presented uh, here in Amsterdam. Yeah. It says it delays uh, the progression of the disease by more than 30 yeah. percent. I saw you were on stage with, yeah. the, with the company, with the pharmaceutical company is, uh, who has developed the drug. And you seem to be as excited as them.
1: I think, I think this is a watershed, transformative, new chapter, call it what you will. This is, this is a fresh start for the field. So over the, over recent months, we've had two or three drugs that have had similar, maybe not strong results that we saw, as we saw with denanimab, which have all pointed in the same direction. And these these drugs are what we call monoclonal antibodies. And what they do is they remove this amyloid protein from the brain, and they do that very effectively. Now, we've had drugs in the past that have done that, but they haven't been successful because they didn't have any clinical benefit. What we saw yesterday with the nanamab was a clear impact on clinical symptoms, both cognition and indeed day-to-day function.
0: But what does that mean for patients? What I mean, what does a patient notice if he takes this uh, medicine?
1: I think what one has to say is that you know we we do as doctors as prescribers have to have a sense of what would have happened had you not had a drug, and, and unfortunately we've got millions of years of patient experience of what happens to people over time. Um, now, what we anticipate with this drug is that will be, be slowed significantly. And so we know from a statistical perspective, from a trial perspective, there was definitely a slowing. Remember, this was an 18 month trial. But what
0: is being slowed exactly?
1: Progression. So symptoms. symptoms, So, so symptom you, your memory
0: is not going backwards, it, basically.
1: It will not decline as quickly as it would have done without drug. Now, I think that uh, and your function uh, is maintained for longer at a certain level. So, you know, if, if one were able to drive when they were in this trial, and had they not had the drug, they wouldn't have been able to drive in, in a year's time, then because of the slowing, it'd be another six months of, not, of still being able to drive. And you know, as you can imagine, you know, in, an, in, a, in an older person, you know, those months or years of extended quality of life are, are, are absolutely precious. I think this, this drug is, is heralding in a new age. This is the beginning of a new chapter. It's turning the page towards what we have currently, which are symptomatic treatments that make no difference to the overall prognosis. They might improve well-being for a short period of time. But now we have drugs which clear the pathology and have you know, longer term benefit. But there will be other drugs that follow this. There'll be other 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 interventions.
0: But and it's mo- also clear that the side effects of this drug are particularly bad compared to uh, two previous ones, right? There is brain bleeding and yeah. uh, brain swelling. And even three people died during the yeah, trial think... who were using this drug.
1: So, so I think the, what we have to do is, and, you know, safety concerns are also, I mean, the, the first rule of medicine, as you know, is do no harm. But we are dealing with a disease that is inevitably fatal. You know, this is a disease where if you're given that diagnosis, you will die. F- from probably your Alzheimer's disease.
0: So basically you're giving them a tiny bit of hope.
1: Well, I think what you're doing, what I'd like to say we're doing is we're giving them information. Because what, what, ultimately the decision to start the medicine should be with the patient, not with the doctor. Mm-hmm. Well, our job is to say, look, in our experience and with our knowledge, we think if you take this drug, the benefits are X, Y, and Z. The risks are A, B, and C. For you as a person, and with your goals and your aspirations and your you know, history, what do you want us to do? And I don't know this to be true, but I'd imagine a lot of people who know they're going to die of Alzheimer's disease would, would take that risk. And I don't think it's for us to be paternalistic and to say we know best.
0: But they buy some time, right? Basically, that's what they do. They buy some time, maybe <laughs> Absolutely. four, five, six months. But in that period, they have to take a drug that is very intensive. Well, but, is but, it worth it? That's the question. Well,
1: that, that's not a question for me. That's a question for a patient. I think one of the other things that's really important with this, with this new medicine is that the patients who were in this trial had what we call mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia. They already had quite, you know, significant symptoms. The next trial, or the trials that are being done now, are in people with no symptoms at all. And these are the people where, you know, you might be able to hold people at an asymptomatic level who knows for years even decades we just don't know we haven't done mm-hmm. those trials we don't know but that's the aspiration that's the expectation almost that when you do have people who've got amyloid in their brain but no symptoms the resilience is still there the brain is still working otherwise well and you clear the amyloid you may dare i say it cure the condition because you're actually getting rid of the pathology it's like getting rid of a cancer before it spread
0: but millions of people right are suffering from Alzheimer's many more are going to suffer in the future yeah. so the commercial interests are gigantic if you're selling hope or maybe false hope even is this not more like a money maker for the pharmaceutical well, industry
1: so i think there's 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 on the one hand there's maybe you know billions of dollars to be made by the pharmaceutical industry but there's trillions of dollars being spent on Alzheimer's disease currently and it's not being spent by you know, it's not being spent by government solely. It's being, it's being spent by caregivers. It's being spent by families.
0: And that doesn't have to be spent because of the medicine?
1: Well, who knows? I mean, the health economic benefits of this may be substantial. I mean, if you were to... I mean, let, let's but it
0: costs twenty six thousand, around $26,000 a person, a patient, a year.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, benchmark that against chemotherapy for cancer. Benchmark that against other conditions which have probably got a better prognosis. And I think it's for healthcare systems, it's for practitioners, it's for the public to say, how much should we spend on preventing dementia? And it, but, I, but I think what, what this will do with, 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 with Donatumab and, and, and with Lilly's sponsorship, and we know this, we see this happening already, is there's well over 200 different drugs development
0: but is it for everyone i mean uh, in the us they already have approved one of these medicines but will it go to asia to africa to europe for example there's a lot of people in the developing world suffering from alzheimer's do they get access to these medications
1: they better you know they better because i think you know we know that low and middle income countries are more affected by these conditions in terms of the prevalence the incidence rate going up than there are, in fact, the incidence of dementia is probably dropping in North America and Europe because of better lifestyle mm-hmm. and cardiovascular so health, etc. Specifically,
0: countries, less developed countries, need these
1: medicines. What, what I think less developed countries need, as well as the new medicines, is the ability to, to detect the disease. Mm. So at the moment, to detect the disease in this trial, needed a PET scan. Now, that is super expensive as well. Yeah. If we are able to develop, and we will be able to develop blood tests which cost pennies rather than brain scans which cost thousands of pounds or dollars, then that makes these medicines more accessible to much wider communities around the world.
0: You have said that in the next 20 years uh, Alzheimer's will be a rare condition and that's that's quite a strong statement and very different than what was published in uh, The Lancet. is a world-leading medical journal which said in uh, in 2050 there will be more than 150 million people suffering from Alzheimer's. So do you really believe that kind of statistic?
1: I'm, I'm very specific. I say Alzheimer's dementia will be very rare in 10 years' time. Just like AIDS is very rare now. People still have HIV, but we don't get AIDS. The same analogy, we will have people with Alzheimer's disease, but it will be slowly developing. It might even not develop any further. It might even be able to get rid of the Alzheimer's disease. What will be a failure of our healthcare systems? will it be people who have Alzheimer's disease that then develops onto dementia.
0: Stay with us. We now talk to clinical neurologist Edo Richard, who shares his perspective on the ethics of pharmaceutical companies producing dementia drugs. You are one of the most uh, renowned uh, researchers on Alzheimer's in Europe, but you didn't attend the largest gathering of scientists on this topic in Amsterdam this week, where with a lot of excitement, a new medicine was uh, launched. Instead, you wrote a very critical opinion article saying that this medicine doesn't work and that the insights presented at the conference are actually not new. Uh,
2: It's a difficult issue. Well, in fact, it's not that difficult. The medicine work. They clearly remove the protein from the brain very successfully, but the patients don't benefit from it. They have the effects that are seen on cognition, on memory are so small that patients and caregivers will not notice them. And this to me and to many actually does not really come as a surprise. Because we've known for more than 25 years that these proteins, the amyloid protein, is present in the brain of older persons very often. Also, people who don't have dementia and people who never develop dementia. And there have been more than 15 earlier studies trying the same, removing the protein from the brain, most of them again being successful at removing the protein. But also most of them showing that patients don't benefit, that the symptoms of the disease simply continue and unfortunately people continue to decline all the way into dementia.
0: But that's not what the scientists at the conference say and not what the company says. They say it stops the progression of Alzheimer's by a couple of months maybe four, maybe seven months. So there is a difference in in memory, there's a difference in what people still can do. It it stops it really, that's what they say. I understand that framing.
2: I think the claims that it really modifies the disease course are not supported by the clinical data. And the framing that it slows the disease by a number of months, or sometimes even framed as recognizing your grandchildren for four or six months more, cannot be understood from these data. This is simply not You don't believe
0: it? You don't believe the data that they are presented?
2: I believe the data they present, um, the science, well, uh, to, to a certain extent, they show a very small effect on a cognitive measure, but this is so small, over one and a half year, that patients and caregivers don't notice the difference. And whether this will continue in the years afterwards, we absolutely do not know. What they investigated is what happens with memory and other cognitive functions, such as execution of problems or problem-solving issues. And you see a very, very small difference, three points on a scale from zero to 144. So that's less than 2% of a scale of cognition. And they simply did not use delaying the disease as outcome of their study. The outcome of the study is the cognitive measure, and on this cognitive measure there is a very small effect, which is statistically significant, but it's not clinically relevant. Do you think they
0: are are selling false hope? I think
2: the field, not just the study, but the field as a whole is indeed selling false hope to a certain extent. And I'm bothered by that because I think people don't benefit from false hope.
0: And they hear about this new medicine and they must be very keen to get it, I guess. Yes. And and while I'm
2: not sure, most people um, do read between the lines and they understand that this is not a silver bullet. This is not something that will stop their disease. This is something, a drug that needs to be administered every month with an IV treatment and infusion which requires a clinic visit and it requires safety monitoring with repeated MRI scans and if you then explain to patients what the expected benefit is at least in the Netherlands my expectation is that most patients will say I'm not sure this is for me we as doctors and scientists should be extremely careful when we're handling desperate people people are desperate because there are no effective treatments available right now. And we should be extremely careful not to sell false hope to those who are desperate because they're eager to try anything. But instead of that, we need to have an honest and open discussion about what can realistically be expected and what that means for their life. Because if you have to visit a clinic every two or four weeks, have repeated MRI scans, there may be adverse events, it may even lead to hypervigilance In the caregivers, is this an adverse event? We need to call the clinic. So there's a lot more to it than simply creating false hope. You
0: can even cause harm by this. You also wrote that uh, there's been investments of 10 billions of dollars uh, of these new uh, medicines and that it has become too big to fail. Can you explain that?
2: Yes, the hypothesis that this culprit protein amyloid causes Alzheimer's disease. This hypothesis is very dominant, even though the scientific evidence stares you in the face that there's more to it than this protein. Like what? What, is, what, is, there what may, are other causes for Well, it? we don't know, but what we do know is that the relation between the amyloid protein and dementia is not very strong, because many older people have the protein and don't have dementia. I think there's a very thin line between hope and false hope. And most of all, we need to be honest to our patients. And I think uh, the way the effect of these drugs are presented to the lay people is uh, not just creating hope. I think it's to a large extent false hope because the expectations are so small. And if you look at all the previous studies trying to remove the amyloid from the brain, which were successful but with no clinical benefit, and we know so many older people have these proteins and don't have dementia, I think you should simply also accept that this may not be the right way forward.
0: You are also an advisor to the uh, European Drug Agency, right? It's a counterpart of the American uh, Drug Agency, the FDA. The FDA has already approved one of these uh, medicines uh, that that sort of slow down Alzheimer's. EMA hasn't approved anything yet. Don't we get an inequality in what is available to patients, right? If you look at the American market, there are maybe medicines available in Europe. There's nothing, let alone talking about other areas, uh, other parts of the world where also Alzheimer's is very uh, rapidly growing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well,
2: um, yes, there may be inequalities between countries and at the same time, I am not in the FDA. I do not know exactly what their considerations were. At this moment, it's impossible to say what the advice to EMA would be. And then it's a group of advisors. I'm just one of those advisors. Mm-hmm. And then the EMA may decide to follow or not follow our advice. Just like the FDA approved the first drug, aducanumab, in spite of the advice of virtually the full committee to reject the approval. So eventually it's the EMA who will decide. But I'd like if you allow me to pick up on the point of inequalities and inequities because I think that's an extremely important point because the drugs that are currently being um, uh, uh, investigated, up, they're extremely expensive. So they will be around $25,000 per patient per year apart from all the logistics around it with repeated MRI scans, four weekly Mm -hmm. infusions, all the personnel, the, the hospitals. So the costs are astronomical if you understand how many people have dementia. This will in fact increase health inequalities and inequities even within high income countries, let alone between high-income countries and low- and middle-income countries, where these drugs obviously will not become readily available to all the patients suffering from early cognitive impairment or dementia.
0: So what is the way out then? If you say, we don't go this way, not this medicine, not the last three medicines that have now been developed, what, what is your way of looking at uh, any solutions to help people with Alzheimer's?
2: Yeah, I think there are two ways forward, for science at least. Uh, The first one is to look at other molecular mechanisms, other mechanisms, inflammation, uh, blood vessel problems. This is for the basic scientists in the laboratory. Back to the drawing board. Leave the amyloid protein for a while and investigate other potential causes. This is one way forward. But the patient doesn't have time to wait for all that. That's, That's extremely unfortunate. Um, but there are no quick wins in dementia research.
0: So here we have like thousands of scientists uh, researching Alzheimer's, all trying to find a cure, and we have this big division. We have on the one side people who really wanted to have this medicine and support uh, all the efforts you know, that, to get the medicine, and then people like you who are much more skeptical. Isn't the patient at the end losing out if there's such a strong debate going on? Yes,
2: yes. I think it's very difficult for, um, to understand for lay persons that on the one hand extremely enthusiastic news comes from a conference, and then other academic scientists who have no relations with pharmaceutical industries are are very careful and say, "Look, this is not um, uh, the golden Patients solution." Patients will not
0: understand this.
2: No, this is this is a. I agree with you, and therefore I think it's our responsibility, responsibility as scientists, particularly academic scientists to make sure that what we put in press releases is understandable and does not create false hope and that it serves the interests primarily of the patients and not of the shareholders of the companies.
0: Professor uh, Greg Ritchie has written that in uh, 20 years, he says, um, Alzheimer's is sort of a, a disease that is, is, is not that common anymore. Do you agree with him?
2: I wish I could agree. But exactly 20, actually 25 years ago, we heard here in the Netherlands, in five years there will be a treatment. Five years later, in five years there will be a treatment. These kind of predictions are not based on scientific facts. So I think we should refrain from this kind of prediction. I hope with my colleagues that we will have these effective treatments. Of course, but the current state of the evidence, the scientific evidence, does not support such a statement at all.
0: Professor Ido Richard. Thank you so much for talking to our today.
2: You're very welcome.